So Romans 10 is a continuation, in essence, of Romans 9. And last week I wrote a theme that I think ties Romans 9 and Romans 10 together, which is there is no automatic salvation for anyone based on your lineage or your good works, part two for this week. And what I mean by lineage and what Paul is, is trying to say here is either in a specific sense, are you a son of Abraham? What is a son of Abraham? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. You're you're an Israelite. You're a Jew, um, <clears throat> and it was very important for the Jews uh, to be focused on these genealogies. And this is why our Old and New Testaments have a lot of genealogies in them, because for the Jews it was very important. Depending on what tribe you were descended of, if you could prove it, it it kind of dictated what kind of function you could have in the society. Um, and even if you were essentially uh, uh, saved, uh, being a Jew. The second is following the law of Moses. <clears throat> and of course, this means the Ten Commandments. This means the Levitical laws. Um, these are the two things that essentially defined whether or not you were a Jew. You're part of the Jew community. So Paul is, is refuting that, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And here's some of the questions that, that I'm posing today I want us all to think about. Um, first, and sometimes I ask these questions, and you might be like, oh, of course, I, I, the, the answer is obvious. Um, but sometimes just asking the question out loud can make you <laughs> think, yeah, of course, that's not obvious, or, or it's true. First is, can religious zeal alone guarantee your salvation? <clears throat> You're so good. We're done. Boom. Number two is perfection, and of course this hyperbole sometimes can help us to understand truth, is perfection or superhuman effort needed for salvation? And what, (laughs) very good, see, done, boom, check. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna contrast that with the opposite, which is, okay, whether or not you think superhuman effort alone is needed, what about just a simple verbal confession? Let's say you say, Jesus is Messiah. Is that verbal confession alone sufficient for salvation? <clears throat> Think about that one. This is a good one. Are all of God's, quote, chosen people saved? <clears throat> this will stir you up. <clears throat> and finally, I want us to list out, based on what Paul says in here, what are the steps to salvation? What are they? So with that being said, maybe we'll just jump into the word. And I have a few, it's not just Romans 10 we're going to do today. We're also going to look at a few other um, associated scriptures here. Um, Two from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. And actually, I think I want to do those first. So whenever you're ready, Laura, go ahead and let's do the Deuteronomy 30, 11 to 14. This command I give you today is not too hard for you. It is not beyond what you can do. It is not up in heaven. You do not have to ask who will go up to heaven and get it for us so we can obey and keep it. It is not on the other side of the sea. You do not have to ask who will go across the sea and get it. Who will tell it to us so we can keep it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. Great. So right off the bat, we have an excerpt from the Old Testament. This is Moses making a very specific claim here about salvation and about understanding God's role for your life, essentially. 
and he makes hyperbole. And this is what I, I'm trying to do here. Hyperbole meaning he tries to over-exaggerate something to kind of you know, show truth. Right off the bat, Moses is making a claim here that in order to be saved or to, to understand the law, to follow the law, what have you, it doesn't require you to, quote, go across the ocean. What does he mean by that? <laughs> that the word is near to you. What, what, is, what is Moses trying to get at there? <clears throat> is don't make too much of it. Yep. Written heart mind. Don't speak. What do you mean by too much? Don't overdo your effort though. <clears throat> Right. Don't overcomplicate it. There we go. Don't overcomplicate. Um, you know, I used to say um, Romans <clears throat> is one of those books that a lot of people who love theology love to go off on tangents on. And they like to overcomplicate it. And what do I say? Focus on John 3.16, right? The, the truth is um, you don't have to overcomplicate it. <clears throat> It's, it's, you know, yes, God is immense and he's, he's all powerful and he understands the universe far better than we ever will, but the message that he's given to us is very straightforward. Don't overcomplicate it. Okay, let's do the, let me think which one I want to do first here. Okay, go ahead and let's do the, uh, the James 2.19. You believe there's one God, good. But the demons believe that too, and they tremble with fear. Okay. So this is a great one, and a lot of us know this one from the New Testament. Um, what, what's the argument here that James is making? It's not just a matter of believing it about God. He's monotheistic. Right. Understanding God alone is not enough for what? <clears throat> yeah. That's essentially what he's getting at. How many demons understand who Jesus is? I would hope all of them. You know, there might be a runt or two here and there that quite didn't, you know, finish uh, uh, demon kindergarten. Um, <clears throat> but, but I would hope that all of them understand. Who, who, does Satan understand who Jesus is? You better believe it. Uh, he may not agree with it, uh, he may think that in the end he's going to triumph, but he knows exactly who Jesus is. <clears throat> that alone is not enough. That, if they did, they would all um, not be destined for hell, and we know that they are. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Let's do the Joel 2, 30-32. I will show miracles in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and thick smoke. The sun will become dark, the moon red as blood before the overwhelming and terrible day of the Lord comes, then anyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. So this is a vision of the end times. We get a little bit of that in the Old Testament. We get a lot of it in the book of, of Revelation or the Apocalypse of John. <clears throat> this is saying what? Okay. And that is from the Old or New Testament. Ooh, 
So, the Old Testament is already telling us, this is hundreds of years before Christ, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you are a Jew in the first century, what is the very first thing you're thinking of when you hear something like that? Ah, anyone in my neck of the woods. And who would your neck of the woods be? Yes. Jews will interpret, some of the Jews will interpret this as only other Jews. But we know, we know that there are other references here. For instance, and we're going to read this. This is, this is already part of Romans here. <clears throat> Actually, I'm going to leave it at that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that, and, and that'll be a good one. So, this, oh, and this is great, too. This is a great point, Ken, which is <clears throat> even Jews of the first century took Scripture out of context. <laughs> they would take a single Scripture reference and overinterpret it, and ignore the rest of scripture. That happened in the first century. That happens today in the 21st century. <clears throat> and Romans is a great uh, place to kind of call that out. Anyway, let's go ahead and read. Jump into the word. Romans 10, 1 to 12. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them <clears throat> is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, which is based on law, shall live by the righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, "Who who will ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith, which, is, which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Oh, uh, can you do 13? Sorry, as well. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you. Excellent. Thoughts? Clear as can be, as mm-hmm. much as Paul can declare. Mm-hmm. Which is what? <clears throat> uh, believe in your heart and confess mm-hmm. with your mouth. Okay. That Jesus is the Messiah, that he was raised, that he conquered sin. Yep. That's great. I even have it underlined in purple, so it must be important uh, in my Bible. Uh, well, he uses verses that we just said. 
read yep. as his argument. Mm -hmm. you know? <clears throat> I mean, he clearly states that believing results in righteousness, mm -hmm. which contradicts everything that mm -hmm. they have Right. So. Yeah. And so to make it so simple, mm -hmm. like they've already had all these laws mm -hmm. and it, they're very complicated and you mm -hmm. have to like really be aware Let's do that. of all of them. Yep. And so like to really change it from being like so much of a burden to being mm -hmm. so light is really shocking. So he's saying don't overcomplicate. How would that have gone over with a first century Jew? Yeah, you're an idiot, yeah. Paul. You're an idiot. Yeah. You'd like to think that you just, you know, finally I don't have to work so hard. Wouldn't you, right? Yeah, there's no more sacrifices. Mm -hmm. There's no more circumcision. Mm -hmm. There's. Which I can, everyone can get behind that, at least 50% of us. <laughs> I'm just saying. When you think about that, where it just seems that Jesus has turned everything upside down. Mm hmm. But ah, okay. But It's everything is mm -hmm. background now for Christ. Yes. Uh, so, so the analog here for me is detective novels. So I am a huge fan of detective novels. Um, and one of the things that I've learned is that as you know, as you read a detective novel, of course you want to try and figure it out and who done it and how did they do it, this and that, and you always have all these theories and all. <clears throat> well, usually if you're reading a good one, um, by the time the answer comes you typically, and I typically, have this kind of aha moment, like, oh, of course it's that way. Because as I look back to all the things that happened, you know, 2020, uh, hindsight vision is 2020, right? I think that's kind of what we're getting slapped with here. It's, you know, these, these dozens of books of the Old Testament that have been written over, over literally thousands of years have been pointing to an answer. And that answer is what? Jesus. Jesus. It's Jesus. And, and now that you know the answer, and Paul is telling you the answer is Jesus. Oh, we'll just say it here. You know, that's it. The answer is Jesus. Okay, that's the whodunit. <laughs> now, as you go back and you look at you go, ah, of course it's Jesus. Of course it's Jesus. Look, literally every book of the Old Testament points to Jesus in one way or the other. And it's obvious. If you can look back at all the evidence... And you could say, yes, that answer is obvious. That to me tells me what? What would that tell you? That's the right answer. That's the right answer. <laughs> that in the absence of other claims, that's the right answer. Jesus is the answer. Yeah, it takes away 
is it for us to look at someone else and be happy for what they have? It's our human nature to go, why does he get it? <laughs> why does he get it? Yeah. I will, I will agree with that, Lorna, in the sense of others, when I look at others. I would hope that by the, yeah, I know, this, this is going to be controversial. No, this is why we're here, sweetheart. This is why we're here. That at some level, at some deep level, you know. You know when you face Jesus on Judgment Day that his answer, whatever he gives you, is the right one. If he looks you in the eye and says, you are no disciple of mine, you claim to be, you showed up for church once every, you know, Christmas. Um, but in your heart of hearts, you know that you weren't my disciple because you lived your life the way you wanted to live it. You didn't love me. You didn't try to learn more about me. And you didn't share the gospel. I would hope everyone he says that to would go, you're right. You're right. And everyone he looks at and says, brother, you are my disciple. You cared about me. You followed in my footsteps, you took up my cross, and you shared my truth with others. And you would say, yeah, I, I knew I did. I would hope that it's that way. Now, I will say that looking at others, I might be surprised. Because I don't know who's going to heaven. And this is where we as Christians, I think, get in a lot of hot water. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know, he's not saved. Look at the way he's acting. You don't know his heart. And even those two statements you just made yep. point to my effort. Uh. Yeah, this is the whole, again, I, I say this almost every week, this is the whole concept of your works do not save you, but your salvation will lead to works. Yeah. 
If you are truly saved, it will be shown in the fruit that you bear. And I think that's what we're getting at here. Your heart will be evident in your actions. But it's not your actions alone that save you. It's not Jesus, Jesus, I know who you are alone that saves you. Because that doesn't save the demons. What else? Ah, okay. Good. Very good. We're good at that, Ken. We're, this is our speciality. Here's the kicker. Right here, he gets them. He gets them again. He, look, I'm telling you, this is the theme, and he is, he is pounding it. This is like, you know, this is like shock and awe in a way. He's pounding it away. He's saying, verse 12, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for, quote, and this is the Joel passage, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Boom. It's cool because he's like using, um, it's like, it's a sermon. Mm -hmm. He's saying, like, I've studied the Old Testament. The Old Testament says anyone. And you guys think anyone means Jews. But I'm here to tell you that the scripture says anyone because there's Mm -hmm. no difference between Jews and Greeks. Laura knows that I do this. When (laughs) When I argue, I already take what the opposition says and I and I use it as my evidence for for what I'm I'm saying and when you do that there's almost no way they can argue with it you're taking their evidence and supporting your your idea here he's saying <laughs> and bless her heart sounds, that she puts up with it sounds wonderful. I, right <laughs> he's taking he's taking the scripture of the Old Testament he's saying look if you read it the right way it's already been made clear to you Jews and Gentiles will participate in salvation. You know, as we as we read this stuff and think about it, and it, just by default we go into this mindset of when I die, yep, will I get to heaven? Ah, and that's that's part of it. Mm. But the other, the, the kingdom of heaven is now. Oh, this is we're, so good. This is saved, so good. Yep. The kingdom right now. It's not yes. About, it's not about someday. I don't know what that has to do with anything except I just keep hearing us and this pointing to death. Yep. This is this is an excellent point, Ken. This is an excellent point. And again, I think as Christians, we tend to not only read the English translation of the New Testament and make that, that assumption that, well, salvation will be something that happens after I die and there will be some kind of magical heaven I, my soul descends to and, and I will be saved. All of that's wrong. Every single thing I just said is wrong. Somebody dies, and we go, but he's in a better place. Uh-huh. Yes and no. Yep. Because he was already in a better place. Yes, yes. I heard a minister say one time, when you get saved, you're starting to live your eternal life then. Mm-hmm. You're already starting, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was um, to hammer home the Greek here, and I, I, I try not to do this too much, but if you read the Gospels, the, the way the Greek is written says... Um, John the Baptist comes and he, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is near, right? If you read the Greek, the Greek specifically says, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. It has already drawn near. And Jesus reinforces that. He says, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's already here. 
And, and now Paul is making that exact same comment. He's saying, right here, he's saying, the word is near you. The word is already near you. It is in your heart and in your mouth. And even Moses said it. That yes, yes. Rejoice in your salvation. If you truly believe that you are a disciple of Jesus, rejoice in that. You have been saved. Live it. Live your salvation. That's what Jesus, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, he would do what, I would do what he's doing, I hope. Living out my salvation. Proclaiming the word, being a disciple, following God the Father. With fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Yep. Great. Okay. That's awesome. Let's go ahead and finish out Romans. Um, and we're going to do, uh, I think it's 14 through the end, please. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom, whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Boom, right there. You'll see, I asked this question earlier. Um, first of all, are all of God's, quote, chosen people saved? Who were the chosen people of God in the first century? The first century is only. Jews only. First century BC, you know, before Christ gave his message, essentially, up to that point, the chosen people, if you were to ask 100 Jews who God's chosen people are, 100 of them would say, us. <clears throat> and if I were to say who are not God's chosen people, he would say who? All, uh, all of you people, right? All you Greeks, which is also translated Gentile, which means non-Jew, <clears throat> essentially. Now, what does it say in verse 16? but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Here is a really important fact, guys and gals. You can have a group of people that God says is my elect or my chosen ones. Not every single individual in that group is going to share in that. Right there, he says, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. They just didn't. And because they didn't, Paul then, like a very good lawyer, goes on to make the case that he, he takes three more verses from the Old Testament, from Psalms, Deuteronomy, and Isaiah, to basically say, God said, 
I realize that this group of people that I call my chosen people, who were basically vessels of mercy, who would lead to the answer to this whole problem, which is Jesus, would not all accept him. Therefore, God would open up his salvation to who? Thank you, God. (laughs) Right? All of us. All of us, meaning anyone who does what? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Anyone who does that. Now, God's chosen people are who? Talked about this last week. Everyone who what? God's chosen people are now everyone who believes in Jesus. And when we say believe, of course, that's wrapped up a little bit more than just accepts who he is. And will not be put to shame. Yeah. Are you God's chosen people, Roger? Absolutely. Excellent. Ken, are you God's chosen people? Absolutely. Yes. Laura. Nice. I like that. Mm. a picture of how like the Jewish heart is like Jonah he obeyed like mm. eventually obeys God but he doesn't want salvation for people who are not Jewish oh my gosh it's so good to, to get salvation they want to keep it for themselves they like being elite instead of yes they don't want it to be for everyone this is this is human nature guys this is I don't want someone else who may be very different from me from getting anything better than I have, or at least what I have. Look at my neighbor. He's such a jerk. Right? What, who does he think he is? Why does he get to have that nice house? I was, last night, kids and I went to a movie, and everything's always a race. Without mm-hmm. a race to the truck, a mm-hmm. race to the door, a race to here, a race to that. Oh. And there's always a winner. Mm-hmm. And then it's you didn't win, I won. I was mm-hmm. the first here. Even if I clearly wasn't, right. I won. <laughs> yep. And so I told them last night when we walked out of the movie, I said, you guys can race to the truck, but from now on, you always tie. Mm-hmm. It's always a tie. No! We're not going to do that. We can't have a tie. It's not always a tie. Yep. Somebody has to mm-hmm. win. Mm-hmm. It's our nature. It's human nature. I want to beat you. Like literally everyone I drive with on the road wants to race. If you pull out a little bit faster than they do. They hit that gas and they are gone, dude. They're gone. Like 99% of us. I don't know what that gene is, Roger Howard. I'm going to find it. I'm going to publish it and I'm going to be famous. Uh, I'm going to find that gene, that competitive gene. That was you. Yep. This, oh, Ken, no, I don't. this gets me. They don't even know you're really there. I right. Mean, they just, it's just, right. So they okay. speed up, and then they, you get over, and then they slow down, and then, you know. I don't hear anyway, that's a different topic. Because yeah. you have to do this, like, uh-huh. three times. Right, exactly. Exactly. And maybe stop. <laughs> you have to hit your brake to set your cruise off. That's too much effort. I think that's a gun-given thing. 
Yep. So it's got to be yeah. something that God has put in us to, to like a competitive nature. But I think mm -hmm. it needs to be reigned. Ah, okay. Even Peter had that. Okay. Because he, he, he was talking to Jesus on the, on the remember when he's cooking fish at the very end? He's like, well, what about him? He's like, what, John? Yep. Don't worry about John. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. What about what you have? Yeah. Well, and even like, in John, John's like, the one whom he loved got to the to the yeah. two mm -hmm. first. So mm -hmm. I was like, I got there first, and Peter came after me because so I was true. faster running. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. That there's a competitiveness, mm -hmm. especially with men. I think yeah. mostly they're just. They, I don't think it's a bad thing. Yeah, we're image brothers. Yeah. That's a jealous God, right? Even Paul himself said he was competitive. He wants to run this race and he wants to finish it. And a race means there is a winner. And I, you know, this is this is history. But um, in uh, Greco-Roman athletics, there was no second place. I'm sorry, there was no silver medal. There was no bronze medal. There was one winner and only one winner. We're competitive. Say it again. You're not first, you're last. Yeah. That's great, dude. I love our references. Let me just say in this class, the diversity uh, uh, that we do. I mean, this is pretty straightforward. Um, <clears throat> I just, I, you know, reiterate. But why are you doing it? Ah, ah OK. Why are you running this race? Yes. Why are you working so hard? Why are you the why? And the why gets at what? Yeah, and your heart is saying, I'm running this race for who? Him or me? Exactly. Who are you doing it for? Are you mm -hmm. doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for other men? Are you doing it for God? And I keep on telling my kids this when they go to work. Mm -hmm. it, the, the work is monotonous. Mm -hmm. they're, they're facing, you know, and I'm like, why do you face? Mm -hmm. well, because that's what the managers want. Mm -hmm. like, okay, but why are you doing mm -hmm. it? So I get a paycheck. I'm like, okay, it's, it's really superficial. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing it? Why do you even go to work? Right. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you point it back to God. You work mm -hmm. for God. Mm -hmm. Because your manager will come mm -hmm. though. You'll have a mm -hmm. different manager someday. Mm -hmm. But who you work for never changes. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you're having that customer service, <coughs> you, you are an image bearer and you are loving that person mm -hmm. as much as you can. Mm -hmm. and you're facing, you're not doing it because that's what the manager wants. You're doing it because you're doing a good job because that's what God wants. Mm -hmm. He wants your heart, He wants your best. Yep. You do your best for Him. Yep. And it just makes it so much easier. To live life, mm -hmm. you're not working for the man. You're not working for anybody else. You're working mm -hmm. for God. You want God to be happy. Mm -hmm. You want to make Him happy. Mm -hmm. So it, it changes things. It, yeah. it doesn't make it seem meaningless. So let's finish up here by by looking at what are the steps to salvation. <clears throat> and Paul actually kind of says it, starting in verse fourteen. What does that say? How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? <clears throat> so it implies this idea that, well, there's this confessing with the mouth and believing in the heart. And I probably should, um, I probably should have drawn this differently. Um, but then it goes on to say what? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? So they have to hear it. <clears throat> and again, this is kind of like the model I did during our big predestination thing, right? So let's work backwards. You have to hear it. Hear the gospel, which can lead to um, confessing and believing. <clears throat> and that results in what? Salvation. Not because you 
saved yourself, but because God has said, I am a merciful God, it's all in my power, I have the right to save whoever I want, whenever I want, but I'm letting you kind of, you know, through my grace and mercy, off the hook to a certain extent, if you truly believe in me and confess, I will save you. If you believe that I can do that, yes. let you off the hook, yes. then I will. Exactly. But if you don't believe it, then... Exactly. You've got to have this part. You've got to have this part. That's the faith. That's faith right here. And we talked about that. And, you know, this is a whole different, deeper discussion. But faith, essentially, the Greek meaning you are persuaded that God is who he says he is. And God gave you that faith because he persuaded you. That leads to all kinds of things like fruit. But backing it up, in order to hear the gospel, what has to happen, according to Paul? Someone has to tell you. someone preaches it. And I don't mean like, you know, this doesn't only mean Dan Hudson getting up and preaching on Sunday morning. I mean, someone told you the gospel, but for someone to preach it, what has to happen? They have to be sent. Apostello. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ah, mm-hmm. Because this isn't linear. Or I see what you're saying. This this is so important. This is really good. Um, if you're an electrical person, you know <laughs> to get power to a maybe this is something I just came up with and it's stupid. In order to get power to a light bulb, you have to have an electrical what? What's it called? A, a circuit. Yes, and it has current. You have to have a circuit. You have to close that circuit from a battery to a light bulb or a power source to a light bulb in order for it to work. If you cut it and it's linear, there's no light. This has to be a closed loop. Your salvation, you really, you're commanded. If you are saved, you have to go out to the world and tell people about me. That's God's command. And not only do you have to, but you actually get to. And isn't that awesome? What a blessing. And then you say electricity is smarter than people. It never leaves home unless it's got a way back. And like what? It never leaves home until it's got a way back. Ooh, I love that. Back. You, you're like our oracle, uh, Lauren. I love this. I can't say that. That's great. Robert Frost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Frost and uh, Albert, uh, Edison. Um, <clears throat> this is great. I think we're onto something here. What do you guys think about all this? Ah, okay. You tell me. What is the baptism? Let's define what baptism is. So the question is, where does baptism come in here? <clears throat> There's two kinds of baptism. One is the physical, which is water. <clears throat> the second is the more important one, the, the, the fire of the Holy Spirit. In 100% of salvation cases, there is a baptism of what? Which one of those? Fire and spirit. Yep. So, salvation here is a baptism of spirit, we'll call it. The Holy Spirit. If you are in the right place to be baptized, and you're commanded to do it, you should do it. You should be physically baptized.
baptized in water, you're commanded to do it. <clears throat> you're commanded to do a lot of things, um, <clears throat> but you should do it. Baptism doesn't make you saved. It's just like your works. Folks, water baptism <clears throat> or physical baptism is no different than the fruit you will produce through your salvation. If you are truly saved and you believe that you are saved, you will bear what? Fruit. You will bear fruit. If you truly believe that you are going to be saved, one of the, the outward pieces of evidence that would show that is your commitment to being baptized physically. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're commanded to do it. I like to have or, or good. I think it's it is a must do. Very close to don't get me don't get me wrong here, folks. I am not saying you shouldn't be baptized, and it's it's optional. According to the the New Testament, you're commanded to be baptized. There are no exceptions. It also commands us to go into Samaria and Judea and into yeah. the earth too. And what I don't want to do here, and we're going off on a little bit of a, of a tangent here, I'm going to stick to this one. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, well, Paul says specifically, don't overcomplicate it. It's not complicated. The Bible says, if you truly believe in Jesus, you go get yourself baptized. And I'm going to leave it at that. There are, there are, there are obviously instances in the New Testament where people who were not physically baptized were saved. <clears throat> But that doesn't let you off the hook. <laughs> you know, you're commanded to do it. And if you, and if you are physically able, you must be baptized. Okay. <clears throat> what else? Any other uh, take homes there? Comments? Earlier, when we were reading like the Old Testament, it was it made me think about when Jesus goes to um, he's in Nazareth at the Mm -hmm. or I don't know if it's Nazareth, but anyway, he's in his hometown. Capernaum. He, yeah, he's he's in the temple, mm -hmm. and he reads the law, yep. and <clears throat> but he stops at a certain part, like he reads part of Isaiah, mm -hmm. but he stops and he doesn't read the part that, that they like. They like this, the following part, which is talking about yep. how God's gonna, mm -hmm. you know, destroy their enemies. Yes. He stops at a certain point on purpose, and then he sits down and says, it's fulfilled. Today, this has been fulfilling and upon your hearing. Like that they all. hated that. Because they were focused on. Mm -hmm. So, just this Old Testament. Story yes. That, like, it's very easy for us to focus on <clears throat> the parts of the Bible that we mm -hmm. like, but it's a part that we're not so keen on that it makes us upset. <laughs> I'll tell you. That's a, that's a great point, Laura, and, and I think the comment here is this that one of the biggest problems that the Jews of the first century had in accepting the message of Jesus was they wanted a conqueror to come in and destroy the Romans. They were so upset that they had lived for 
you know, hundreds of years since essentially the fall of Jerusalem uh, in, in 586 BC, that they were a captive race to another kingdom. And for almost 600 years at that point, they were like, we are, we are desperately waiting for Messiah to come and destroy our captors, and we want to reign, and we want to be in charge. And they couldn't accept the fact that Jesus told them, I will be in charge of you. Don't worry about everyone else. But yes, someday I will come back and be the military conqueror you want me to be. It's just not going to be today. They could not swallow that. They couldn't. They couldn't it's wait. Just Think of it, that's three times the, the <clears throat> age of our own country. <clears throat> Ironically, uh, 40 years later, Jerusalem did get completely destroyed. Um, you know, listen to Jesus. That's all I'm saying. Uh, don't ignore him. Okay, <clears throat> this is great. We'll pick this up next week with Romans 11, and uh, we'll go from there.